we've done it. But right now I'm joined by uh, Dr. Phil Ferguson, John Moore and Sarah Martin. Good morning to you all. Hi everyone. Uh, Morena. Morena. All right. Um, now, we saw we, when um, Winston Peters announced who he was going to go with, he, he, he had a, a great speech. Um, and he came out and said the capitalist system isn't working for ordinary Kiwis. Uh, Jacinda has also uh, sent signals uh, that way, uh, talking about the same kind of thing. Um, is the gov- but is this government really anti-capitalist, or is this just some rhetoric at the beginning saying we've got issues that need to be fixed, uh, but you're not really going to go down that full anti-capitalist route? I don't think anyone except the most nutty right-wingers would see this government as about to dismantle the capitalist system in New Zealand. Um, but, but clearly they're using rhetoric, um, both Winston Peters and Jacinda Ardern, they're using this sort of populist anti-capitalist rhetoric that we haven't heard in New Zealand for decades, really. And it's part of a, a global trend, I think, that there's... that. Um, pundits and the media and politicians feel far more able to to actually critique the system as a whole and that and that resonates with a large segment of the population but i think some elements on the right so david farah from kiwi blog cameron slater from whale oil um for example are using the anti-capitalist anti-neoliberal rhetoric of the government to try and paint them as uh socialists far left a government of tax and spend etc etc um, disappointing from David Farrer because I, I always think that he gives a more nuanced take on, on, on politics and although he's certainly aligned with the National Party he, mm. he he doesn't go for the sort of tabloid headlines usually that say Cameron Slater does but as of late I think he's been moving in that direction which I find a bit crude and disappointing. I think some of the best commentators out there are the likes of um, Bryce Edwards used to be on the show, Matthew Hutton who, who are both who are pulling apart that rhetoric and, and questioning how radical the government really is and, mm. and, and, and looking at their policies, looking at the barriers to them actually carrying out a sort of uh, anti-neoliberal agenda. And then we've got people on the left, like Chris Trotter, who actually um, buy the radical line of this government and say that um, at least with some pressure placed on them, uh, this government can be one of radical transformation. Um, I mean, because you, you mentioned that this is um, kind of rhetoric that's coming out worldwide. Now, Sarah, do you think that it's because there is, you know, people are actually thinking it is failing? There's a large pop, um, section of the population worldwide, uh, well, in, in the Western world anyway, um, that, that really aren't getting a fair go under the system we have now? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen that awareness of growing global inequality and there was the whole... Um, you know, one percent movement. So people are getting more and more vocal about the fact that um, global capitalism is, um, you know, privileging a few over the over the many. And there's a rising you know, tide of people who are homeless, on low wages, people in precarious precarious employment situations. So I think there is a growing awareness, and I think it's starting to kind of hit the middle classes. Um, so, yeah, I think there's growing opposition and growing dissatisfaction with the capitalist model as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I agree pretty much with John, really. I don't think this government's about to overthrow capitalism. They are making some changes to the model, though, um, and they, are, they will, I think, get rid of the worst excesses, some of the worst excesses of it. I mean, we've seen, for instance, 
that they're going to um, change the contracting model, the tendering model for bus and train services, which has been used. Um, you know, it's a very right-wing, market-driven way of getting bus bus drivers, bus contracts tendered out, and they're going to change that. So, I mean, they're already signalling quite a few policy changes that are aimed at getting rid of some of the more hard-edged policies. I don't think we're going to see an overthrow of capitalism, but I think we are going to see change. What are your thoughts on this, Phil? Yeah, I think we're going to see some change. Um, and if you look at, say, the Sanders movement in the United States and the upsurge around Jeremy Corbyn in Britain, I mean, neither of those people got elected, um, you know, whereas you had very middle of the road um, Justin Trudeau elected in Canada and quite economically right-wing Macron um, elected in France. So this is the first time in recent years that you've got a, a government elected, certainly in the English-speaking um, world, where there is some heightened expectations and where they are talking about change. And I think they had to talk about change in order to have any chance of getting elected. You know, not talking about change hadn't done them very well, you know, um, any favours. Um, but, yeah, what they're going to deliver is is another question. So I agree with Sarah. They're going to, um, I think, smooth off some of the worst excesses of government economic policy over the past, well, 30 30 plus years but the, nothing fundamental is going to change mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey John, um, you know there's terms like anti-capitalists and uh, socialists and uh, democratic socialists and neoliberalism thrown around all the time um, and you know I think the majority of uh, people don't know what they mean No, no. So, uh, and we have been living in a kind of a neoliberal world what does neoliberalism actually mean? Yeah, it's a very problematic term, but I think um, to, to summarise it, uh, neoliberalism is seen as economic and political ideas that see the market as the most efficient, if not the only way to produce and expand global wealth. Mm -hmm. And therefore, a neoliberal agenda is based on removing the limitations to the operation of the market. So uh, since the... Um, 80s really. Um, actually the first example arguably of uh, a strong neoliberal agenda was carried out in Chile under Pinochet, the Pinochet dictatorship where that market was liberalised and, and freed up. Um, and then further along with Reagan in America and Thatcher in, in Britain and of course with the Roger Douglas government, uh, fourth Labour government in New Zealand, where again the, the, the ideology was that um, government regulation of the system and government attempts to produce wealth through planning, whether in the uh, most uh, arguably extreme case with countries like the Soviet Union, which was centralised planned economies, and in countries like New Zealand where you had a Keynesian policy where uh, the economy was seen as a mixed economy where the government had a legitimate role to play mm. in both regulation and producing wealth. So the idea was that you remove the state uh, as much as possible from uh, the economic um, arena and, and you allow uh, the market to, in its own natural way, to, to produce wealth, which will trickle down and benefit the vast majority of us. Now, yeah. I think that as an ideology, neoliberalism has really uh, 
collapsed uh, since the mid-90s, really. So um, very few governments in the world, in the Western world, uh, would actually say that uh, the market is the only way to produce wealth. We don't need regulation anymore. So there, there was a shift away from the ideology of neoliberalism while maintaining most of the neoliberal reforms that were carried out in the 80s and 90s. So we saw that with the last national government here, although it wasn't explicitly anti-neoliberal or anti-free market, it certainly dented uh, many of the reforms that had been carried out. And as we've talked about before in this programme, that government, rather than carrying out a right-wing austerity programme uh, during the recession and the global financial crisis, it actually um, borrowed and spent and invested in the economy in certain ways, which was clearly against the, the whole concept of neoliberalism and its emphasis on the market. They still sold off assets though. Yeah they did, so they, they really, uh, the economic policies of the last national government as well as the previous um, Clark Labour government were really a mix of uh, neoclassical economics with their emphasis on the market and deregulation as well as some elements of Keynesianism in terms of seeing that uh, government investment and management of the economy can also produce wealth and help the market to uh, um, spread out its wealth creation more evenly. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, but then you shift manufacturing off overseas to uh, low wage economies, and there, uh, and therefore the wealth doesn't get spread down to the workers because the workers are non-existent. Uh, yeah, um, and also, I mean. Really, I mean, I don't really agree that they did do a whole lot of investment in the economy and the productive economy. They had to rebuild Christchurch because of an earthquake, but mm. um, I'm not sure that the national government, aside from that earthquake recovery, did a whole lot of investment in the economy. Uh, um, Phil, does the right, with, with the government and the way they're talking, is there a legitimate fear for the right, to, a legitimate um, call for the right to fear the return of power to the unions? Oh, I don't think so at all. And I think what Labour will, what, what the Labour-led government will do is they will give the trade union leadership a little bit more leeway to sign up members and try to grow the union movement a bit. But um, Ardern has made it quite clear that strike action is not going to be tolerated mm -hmm. and that there's a kind of quid pro quo which she's offering to the union leaderships which is we'll give you a bit more in the way of right of entry we won't get rid of the 90 day legislation but we will reform it and we'll make some other reforms that will make your life easier and in turn we want you to make sure that there isn't strike action Whereas at the end of the day, the only power that workers have is to withdraw their labour. Mm. So it's a very kind of technocratic government. We will do a few things for you, and in exchange, you'll be well behaved. You know, you'll have your table manners. You won't eat, eat with the pick up the wrong spoon, um, and you won't, you know, withdraw your labour. Well, I mean, mm. uh, will we ever see a return of strike action, or is this is it gone forever? Well, I hope we do, but I'm a bit, 
I'm a bit depressed <laughs> about, <laughs> about the fact that, yeah, the, the working class in New Zealand, you know, they need to start looking overseas. And, you know, in Argentina, when the bosses announced that they're going to close down the, the chocolate factory or the railway workshops, the workers say, bugger this, and they occupy it and they run it themselves. Yeah. And in New Zealand, they just docilely accept it. So I don't know. We need some drug to inject into people to give them a bit more <laughs> self-respect and um, stand up for themselves and, and, and not be pushed around and walked over. But, I mean, I've been waiting for that for 20 years. So <laughs> I guess people have, in a sense, have internalised that neoliberal ideology that there's something natural about the market. That It's like if you're an environmentalist and a nature lover, then you want less, the less amount of human intervention into the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with neoliberals, they want the least amount of conscious human intervention into the economy through government. I think people have internalised that, so when things happen like Cadbury's closing down, Fisher and Paykel shifted to Thailand, people just see it as something natural, something beyond our control. This is the force of the market at play, this is the force of globalisation mm-hmm. at play. There is a questioning of that uh, ideology now, and I think that's why we've got things like Brexit and the election of Donald Trump and and even the election of um, the Labour New Zealand First Government here, because people are starting to question that ideology. But I think people still still internalise that idea that, can we really do anything? Is it really possible to to roll back the the forces of capitalist globalisation? That's zero. But perhaps this is an important... um yeah, shift, isn't it? I mean, perhaps this is the important first um, step in, in um, embracing a, in a different approach and, um, you know, shifting the balance of power towards another generation and um, another group of people. I'm hopeful that we've seen a, you know, a wind shift mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, people will see that there are alternative ways of doing things and organising society and the economy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are some positive signs out there. Mm. I mean, because I mean, we vote the government in to run the economy, right? Run the nation. We create didn't. jobs. We didn't. Well, you two didn't. <laughs> but that's what we do, right? But then they, they say, well, we're going to leave it up to the market. So can you really, like, when, when John Key and, and Bill English were saying, look at what National was re- done for the economy, was it really them doing anything at all? Uh, <laughs> I... I Yes, that, 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 that's questionable. However, I think that um, with Stephen Joyce and, and with Key and others, they did see the need for some uh, hands-on approach by the government, as opposed to the earlier days of, say, Roger Douglas and Ruth Richardson, etc. So totally. certainly how they... Yeah, but they also stood back. I mean, they, their deliberate inaction in the housing market was you know, was how they grew the economy. Yeah. They, uh, you know, that's where the economic growth has come from. It's got, it comes from our um, completely um, meaningless growth in property values, which has come from um, people with capital amassing more and more capital, and the government sat back and let that happen. And, you know, it's domestic capital and international capital, and that was a very deliberate strategy, you know, that for them, for this government, the increase in rents and the increase in property prices was a sign of economic success and a sign that everyone wanted to invest in New Zealand, except most people can't. Most ordinary New Zealanders can't buy their own home or afford their rents because of that great economic success. So, yeah, this government, the last government, did stand back and um, and create and allow an economy to benefit a few, um, and that was that was their their ideological um, end. 
Okay, so will Labour change this? Are they going to be radical? Will they, you know, create some, you know, change the system? Well, I think if we look at the the housing question, it isn't a perfect um, uh, case model to look at. <coughs> how different is this Labour-led government to the previous national government? I completely agree with Sarah that uh, the government more or less took a hands-off approach to the question of the housing market. That we let we let the forces of market of the market naturally play out, and the, and the prices of of houses reflect um, a legitimate price because of the the way that um, forces of supply and demand are working. Mm-hmm. Now, Labour and New Zealand First and the Greens are certainly using more radical rhetoric in calling for the need for the government to take an active part in uh, lowering um, the prices of houses or at least um, making houses more affordable for the average New Zealander through um, government investment. So through effectively um, private-public um, or public-private ventures and building affordable houses. Now remember, this is between 400,000 and 600,000, so mm-hmm. that, that's the government's definition of affordable. And also, also through a slight increase in, in the building of state houses and stopping the state housing stock being um, privatised. However, um, a lot of economists would say that these measures are quite... Uh, minor and, 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 and not radical uh, and we, we see that with the, the government solution to dealing with the housing problem is to limit foreign investment in housing in New Zealand I say limit and not ban, I think a ban is an exaggeration in that for, foreign capital and foreign people will still be able to buy new houses Yeah, yeah well um, they're going to build those new houses then. Yes, So, but the argument is that uh, because Australia has carried out this policy as well it, it has led to some changes in the market, but it's, it certainly hasn't affected uh, overall the price of houses. And yeah. I find it disturbing that the um, the government uh, and was, uh, has, is using both the language of populist, xenophobic nationalism and of the radical left when it's addressing this housing, housing question. So uh, David Parker, um, the new minister in the government, has said that uh, by limiting foreign ownership, we're, we're centering in on the 1%, the so-called, and this is the language of the radical left, of Occupy, we're centering on the 1%, this elite group who, through their intervention in the market, are pushing house prices up. Now, uh, a lot of left-wing people might say, well, great to hear this language, this, this language almost of class, of centering in on the 1%. But when he's talking about the 1%, he's talking about foreigners. He's yeah. not talking about capital and capitalists overall. He, he's excluding, certainly excluding New Zealand capital. And it's, um, we all know that when governments talk about foreign intervention, they're really talking about Asians uh, and, and Labour in, in the last couple of years has certainly um, centred in on Asian, especially Chinese investment in the economy, and blame Chinese for the for the increase in house prices. So I find that very disturbing that they sort of created this this uh, unhealthy fusion of left populism and left radicalism in in the language of xenophobic um, uh, populism, where. Uh, the, the faults of capitalism and, and of capitalist uh, investors uh, is replaced with the figure of the other, the Asian other. Mm-hmm. And it's got lots of parallels to anti-Semitism and that um, uh, populist right-wing movement throughout the 20th century and, and, and new movements that are bubbling away have replaced the figure of the elite capitalist and of the capitalist system with that of the Jew. And I think we're 
certainly the Labour, I'm not accusing the Labour Party in any way um, uh, having any leanings towards uh, right-wing fascism or populism, but they are using a sim- similar type of language there to some degree, and I find well, that very I, I, dangerous. Yeah. I, do, I think we, I, I hope they've learned the lesson of the Chinese surname things. I mean, I think the way they're um, positioning this uh, reduction in the ability of foreign capital to buy, uh, to buy houses here is... is more about the, um, you know, kind of trying to balance out the buying power of people. So I haven't seen much xenophobia in the, the latest round of announcements. But, but, I know but that Parker, that still has Parker made it yet. very clear that we're centering on the very wealthy 1% who is a foreign person buying into New Zealand, quote, unquote. What? So he's replacing... Uh, uh, rather than using an objective scientific approach and saying, well, th- there is problems with speculation, but it's speculation coming from rich people who are New Zealanders living in New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealanders living overseas, and some foreign investment. He's focusing exclusively on the foreign other buying into the New Zealand economy, this very, very wealthy one percenter, quote, unquote. Which is foreign, mm. yeah, and, I mean, and, and that's populist uh, xenophobia. Uh, but is, is that the problem that when when just you know normal people on the street think foreign, they think Asian instead of because th- because if they came out and said you know the percentages of the breakdown of the percentages of people that are coming in and buying their houses, so you look at the people from Britain, you look at the people from Canada, look at the people from the United States, it's a lot higher, f- um, and then people from from Asia mm. from a- Asia. Um, so if they use it in that terms. Um, would it be, we'd be a bit more comfortable with it. We'd be fine with that money coming in and those people coming into New Zealand buying houses because they're from Western societies. But when you think foreign, you you know, majority of New Zealanders probably think Asia. And people well, like... Well, I mean, but to be, to, we have to be realistic, is that people in Auckland, you know, there, there has been a large influx of, um, of Asian immigration. And that has put, that has created a... Um, a situation of quite high tension and competition for resources. So I, I think there has been a failure in leadership in terms of trying to, um, in terms of recognising that very real um, day-to-day tension and competition for resources and space and land and housing that people in our largest urban centre are facing. And I'm not saying stop immigration by any means, but I'm saying if we are going to have a shifting population and, and it does result in that kind of economic tension, then we need to start talking about how we share resources better or we need to start... We, you know, our leadership has focused, I think, unfortunately, on, um, on drilling up that xenophobic blaming. But I think we also have to accept people's reality that, that the population is changing and we need to... Um, talk openly about how we manage that and how we um, support each other to to embrace change and to embrace difference because at the moment we've just got a terrible competitive model which of course blames other people. But I think one of the ironies of this is that the broad range of the New Zealand population are less xenophobic than any time that I can remember in my entire life. You know, mm-hmm. I think the average person in New Zealand is less xenophobic than they were in the 1970s, for instance. Um, and yet we've got you know, people in positions of power, whether it's Winston Peters or whether it's um, David Parker or even worse when they were in opposition with Phil Twyford, demonising 
a certain section of the population who they were very explicit about the Chinese sounding surnames thing and they banged on about that for two years and I was very very pleased that they didn't get any traction they didn't get a lift in the Mm -hmm. polls Mm -hmm. didn't help them electorally at all and I think one of the reasons that they've backed off a bit is completely opportunist reason that they've realised that it, it, it actually didn't help them electorally and it kind of left it left a, a stain on the Labour Party and it left a very sour taste in the mouths of a lot of liberal-minded people who might have otherwise thought about voting um, voting Labour. I think the thing about you know people's perceptions that there's all these people from Asia especially coming into Auckland and it's putting a strain on resources and so on. I think that needs to be really vigorously combated. Yeah. I mean, but, it, but it's true, Phil. It's, I mean, that is factual. N- well, it's also yes New Zealanders no. coming back from Australia uh, uh, are putting a strain on resources. No, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. the, pop, the Auckland pop, the population is changing. Yeah, well, there it, has it, been a significant growth in, in, um, it's in, only... in non-Māori, non-Pacific, non-European population in Auckland. And it has coincided with enormous stress on people, on ordinary working people's housing situation. It's coincided. And that is not the problem of the immigrants. It is yeah. the problem of, of government not ensuring there is adequate resource and not sharing that resource and and blaming those immigrants instead of blaming the capitalists who are making a huge amount of money. But mm-hmm. yeah. we do have to accept that, that New Zealand population is changing. And, and that in Auckland and Wellington, there is enormous stress on ordinary people trying to get to get affordable housing. But I mean, you know, we are trying. You know, in the market here, you look at a house, you have to add three or four hundred thousand onto the GB, and that's the selling price. But there's a whole there's, there's a whole it, range of reasons why house prices have gone up. It coincides, but it doesn't cause it. Like, no, I'm you not know, saying it's yeah, but we yeah. have to acknowledge it as a reality. So we, we, ne- can't we need to challenge the thinking that links those two things as if yeah. it was causal. You know, it's that, and for a lot of people, it is it is causal. And of course, Winston Peters presents it as causal, and people like Phil Twyford and and so on have presented it as causal. Whereas the problem is, you know, if you go back to the 1960s, the government built lots of houses, yeah. and the government had state, the State Advances Corporation, which advanced three percent mortgages to people, exactly. and so you had the mm. heyday of working class home ownership. And that's when you had a lot of people coming in from the Pacific as and well. We had so you had a lot of, of immigration had at loads the time. of loads of immigration at that particular point in time. In fact, in terms of, you know, immigrants as a percentage of the population, mm. it was probably every bit as high then as what it is now. Yeah, you're right. We need to uh, take, you know, make sure people know that those two do not coincide. Yeah, together. That, that they coincide, sense. but they're not causal. Yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah, causal. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. We've run out of time, but thank you all for being on today. It was a good one. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Uh, Sarah, debate. always uh, awesome to have you on the show. Talk to you again next week, my friend. And gents, good to for see sure. you. Yes. We are all immigrants, remember that. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, it's always time. And, for... uh, I'm also talking to Finnois, so, you know. Yeah. Good. <laughs> As is Phil, but slightly. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have to leave it there. Uh, it is.